This Sunday we follow on from last Sunday and we're going through a series called One Another. And last Sunday, Jill very powerfully and beautifully shared, um, I had to watch it on catch-up because this time last week I was somewhere in London, I, I don't know where, but I watched the sermon last, uh, from last week and one of the, the last things that Jill said was about being so, soaking up the love of God. Not just having some uh, drips of the love of God, but soaking it up and then releasing it and oozing it out. And it's that position, that last kind of visual image that I want us to start this, this morning with. Because this morning we're moving on to teaching one another. And what do we teach one another? What do we cause others to learn from our lives? There's a verse that we'll look at. It's from the book of Colossians. It's in the New Testament. It's actually a letter to a church that was in, well, it's in Turkey, or the modern equivalent of Tur Turkey. Sorry, the ancient equivalent of modern Turkey. And in chapter 3, verse 16, as you can see on the screen, it says, teach one another. The whole verse says, let the message of Jesus Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. We've been doing that already this morning. The teaching doesn't start when someone gets up here. The teaching starts when we start gathering together in small groups, in one-to-ones. Um, it's already begun. I wonder if you had a teacher like this guy. I don't know what he has got on the blackboard there. I don't even know whether you, when you were in school, whether you had blackboards or whiteboards or interactive whiteboards. Some of you are now thinking, what's an interactive whiteboard? It speaks back to you. It's magical. When I was teaching in Bath, one teacher came up to me before school and they said, Stephen, I can't teach today because my interactive whiteboard has broken. <gasps> Generations before you have not been able to teach because it, their interactive whiteboard's not even existing. Is that what you're saying? No. You can teach without these tools. But I wonder if your teacher was this kind of person, doing a chalk and talk, or as um, technology developed, whiteboard and worksheets. Chalk and talk, whiteboard worksheets. Or whether still, even though technology advanced, whether you still had, or the feeling was that your teacher was giving you a lecture, and if you didn't listen, you got lines. I wonder if that was your experience at school. I wonder what your experience of being taught in churches. When Paul wrote this, this letter to the Colossians, he wasn't writing to the leader of the church or those who were preachers. He was writing to the community. He was writing to everyone and saying, teach one another. Teach one another. And maybe the lessons about Jesus that you have learnt most effectively not just being taught them, but learnt them most effectively has happened 
when you've been on a walk and a talk with someone, or a coffee and a catch-up, chatting with someone with an open Bible and an open heart and mind, when someone has come alongside you, or whether you, when you've been in a smaller group setting, it might be that you have never been taught about Jesus. But your life still teaches, and you're still learning from other people's lives. We learn from one another. And as we look at this uh, passage today, it isn't about the sage on the stage. We don't have sages on stages anymore. We have guides by the side. And I want us to be a church that has a guide by every person's side. So let's teach one another. Our lives are teaching. Teaching good things and bad things. People watch your lives. What lessons are you teaching others through your life? I want to show you this. This is the chunking method of long division. Some of you will be thinking, that's not long division. Long division for me when I was at school had arrows coming down and I carried this and arrow down and this across. This is the modern method of long division. Well, it was when I was still teaching. It was eight years ago at least. Chunking method of long division, it's wonderful. Has no relevance to most people's lives. But it's wonderful, isn't it? And I was teaching in Bath, uh, and there was this, uh, this girl in year five called Kira, and um, I'd done the best input. Well, I thought it was the best input. Kira still didn't get it, so I sat next to her. And I was w- working through with her some examples. It was like, chunk of this and chunk of that. and ch- uh, Five minutes of input. I said, Kira, do you get it now? And I was waiting for that golden moment of learning. And she turned to me and said, Mr. Williams, you've got one eyebrow. (laughs) And I was thinking, wow, she's learned something, hallelujah. But she had been looking uh, uh, intently at me and and her attention was great. But the learning that she was taking from my teaching wasn't about chunking method of division. It was that I'd forgotten to pluck the little hairs just there. I don't pluck just there. For those of you now over coffee and things like that, they'll be coming up and like glancing. Does he have one? That's not the point. The point is... What lesson is your life teaching? As people look at you, as people watch you, what are they learning from the way that you live your life? This isn't just for our church or if you're a follower of Jesus today. This is for everyone. What lessons will people learn as they sit alongside you in work? Or they walk the dog with you each morning at silly o'clock in the morning? or if you're part of the second group of dog walkers, or third group. There are different groups in the, in the village and things. Are you a 7 a.m. or a 6 a.m., 11? Yeah. What lessons are people learning from your life? What lessons is your life teaching? 7% of communication is received or kind of learnt from verbally. 93% non-verbal communication. People will be watching, learning from your life, the way that you 
walk into a room. I knew when children came into my classroom whether they had had breakfast or not, sometimes because you could see part of their breakfast. But, but as they, the way that they walked in, you could tell whether they were happy or sad, whether they'd had a stressful morning or not. Just the way that they walked in, you could tell. As we live alongside one another, you learn, as people teach, as people communicate how they are, you learn about them. What lessons can be learnt from your life now? Matt and Beth will never, well probably never, sit Aspen and Elowin down, stand a few metres back and say, right, I want to teach you about Jesus and, and give them a lesson like that. They won't do the chalk and talk or the whiteboard and worksheets or the lectures and lines about Don't do the lectures and lines about Jesus. But Aspen and Elowin will learn from the way that Matt and Beth parent them and the way that they live their lives. They will learn because our lives constantly teach. And Matt and Beth will be constantly teaching them through their lives about Jesus. And that can be really pressurizing, can't it? If our lives are always a lesson... We need to be careful what we're doing and living and saying. What is your life teaching? Another reflection that I learned from Kira in year five in Bath when she noticed my eyebrow. You've got to teach something worth learning. Long division. Very, 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 very few people use long division written methods in their everyday life now. Now I can guarantee that, now I've said that, someone will come up, oh, I use long division written methods in my job. But very few people will use that. What's the point? I've got a calculator. I can just, done. What's the point? She couldn't engage with it. She couldn't take on the learning because she didn't see the point. She was more interested in my eyebrow. We're to teach something. Let's teach something worth learning. Through our lives, let's live them in such a way that we make an impact, make a difference in the people around us by the way that we live our lives and the way people learn from us. Not just giving them knowledge to, to increase a knowledge bank, but to bring about life and some kind of improvement uh, in theirs and our lives. So with that in mind, we're going to have a look at uh, the passage that I've read um, from um, Colossians chapter 3. It's on the screen, but if you want to have a look at it in your Bibles, if you don't have a Bible and you want one, you can either download one or Come and speak to me after. I've got some in my office. I can just give you a Bible and you can take one away with you today. Um, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body, that's talking about the church family, you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. 
Let the message, let the word of God, of Jesus, dwell. Let it live in you richly. Now, the people um, in the church in, in um, or the, the church of, of um, Colossae um, were instructed to teach or to cause to learn. That's the Greek word, didasko. It's the same word that Jesus used when he gave the instruction to his disciples, um, go into all the world and make disciples, teaching them, didasko, teaching them to obey, cause them to learn. Now, teaching in the Bible isn't just about delivering a lesson. It's about making sure that someone takes it on board and it impacts their life. I wonder how many teaching sessions we've gone through and we haven't learned the lessons. There's a, a teaching teacher and learner, learner and teacher, and we need to ensure that this isn't just the people at the front or people who are preaching, but this isn't every person within a church community. Paul is writing to the whole church of, of uh, Colossae, and he's, he's not just speaking to leaders, but the whole community. But what was going on there was actually some people, some teachers, were visiting and actually uh, got in and started teaching them the wrong thing. Now, some of us may have heard of stories where um, children, young people, sit an exam and they realize that they've been taught the wrong curriculum. Or, the, um, well, what happened the year after I, I did my GCSEs is the Welsh Joint Education Committee, the exam board that we were under, um, they actually taught completely the wrong curriculum for the next year's GCSE, and there was... Um, a bit of a hoo-ha with that. Um, some false teachers, some people had come in and basically said, the message of Jesus is fine, but actually to really be saved, to be really properly secure and um, sorted with God, you need to learn more. You need to know more. You need to get a higher level of learning. It's like not just um, degree level, but it's kind of PhD level. But it's that kind of Superior, superior learning. Freedom will come by knowing more. Freedom will, and liberty and a life will be better. Fullness will be gained by learning more, by knowing more, by um, engaging in this higher thinking, etc. But what had happened was it was causing the opposite effect. And the knowledge was causing more judgment more legality and um, sticking to certain ways of living rather than the freedom that Jesus had, um, had given. And it's causing people to feel entrapped and uh, feel like a failure because they couldn't reach the higher standards. I wonder if you've ever felt that, that you're not good enough or you don't know enough. Or whether the way you've, you have been teaching others has given them that impression and you haven't intended it, but the way that you've been has let them learn that they've got to reach a certain standard to, to be accepted, to be um, cherished or loved and things like that. Paul was writing, the Apostle Paul was writing in 60 or 61 AD to, into this context 
where people were causing to learn, or they were teaching, but they were teaching the wrong thing. And Paul says to the whole community, teach one another. He's not saying, experts, come into this church and teach one another. He's saying to the community, teach one another. And that's possibly a dangerous thing. But what he says before teach one another and after teach one another is really crucial. He says, let the message, let the word of Christ dwell richly among you. If we're going to teach, we need to know something. We need to have experienced something. Some teachers um, would, many secondary teachers, will teach from a textbook and rely on that textbook because they don't actually know the subject knowledge. One of the worst taught subjects in primary education is religious education because teachers don't feel confident with the subject knowledge. So they teach it from textbooks and worksheets and things like that rather than saying, let's go on a journey of exploring this and learn from people's faiths and about people's faiths, which is what it says in the curriculum. I wonder what you're basing your learning and lessons on this morning. Paul is saying, let God's words dwell in you richly. The word dwell there is is basically, allow it to be your home. Allow it to be the place where you live. God's words being the place where you live. How can a book be the place where you live? Well, Well, like a home, You spend time in it, and you dwell in it, you rest in it, you're recharged and energized in it, and it needs to be open for that to happen. And then from our homes, we go about our daily living. Like God's words, we um, have it as our home, and we go from it into our everyday life, allowing it to influence and impact If you have a secure home, or an uncluttered home, a safe home, quite often it gives us that confidence or feeling as we go through our everyday. So allow God's word to be our home. Paul is saying before you teach, you need to let God's word dwell in you richly. And then he says um, about psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, from the Holy Spirit. And we need to be people who allow God's Holy Spirit to bring life because that's what he always does. God's Holy Spirit will always bring life. And he'll take an ancient book and bring it alive as we open it with him. He will always point to the truth about us and the truth about Jesus. He will always help us in the way that the Bible has set out. And the Bible becomes less of a, of a basic instructions before leaving earth, B-I-B-L-E. And it becomes an adventure of life with God. So Didasco, causing to learn, is in God's words and by his Holy Spirit. And in that context, Paul says, teach one another. What is your life teaching? What lessons are people learning from your life? 
I want to share three lessons that I'm working on with God at the moment, and I'm praying that people will learn from my life. They may be lessons that as a church we should adopt as well, and I pray that we do. The first one, if this worked, there we go. The first one, don't work with technology, there we go. Position before God. The context of, of the verses that we've been looking at are just beforehand. Paul reminds the readers of who they are before God. And this links in with what Jill was so beautifully saying last week about being bold, loving overcomers in the name of Jesus. Verse 12 says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, and so on. As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. We don't need to run away from God. I wonder today if you have been running or wearing one of these when you come to God. Yes, we wear these for safety for us and others. But so often in churches, so often with God, we we put masks on And we're not ourselves, we're not real. And it might be that because you have wandered away from God or you've never actually met with him, you're afraid so you're going to wear a mask. But our position before God is that we are holy and dearly loved because of Jesus. And we can take our mask off as we come before God's honesty. And humility. I would love, Nikki and my children, to learn this lesson from my life and from her life. That we are loved children of God. Would others learn that from your life at the moment? How would they learn it if your answer was yes? When we know our position before God, we have something which is a kind of humble confidence. And a humble confidence might be a contradiction, but but actually there's humility because we know we're not the big thing. But there's a confidence and security that whatever life throws at me or life throws at us, we can be secure that there's a God in heaven who dearly, dearly, dearly loves us and is with us always. Whatever, is, whatever you're going through, remember the position that God has given you because of Jesus. That we can be called children of God. The verse from John, um, so 1 John, how, how rich the love, how immense the love that the Father has lavished upon us. Lavished isn't just a kind of thin spreading. Or as Jill said last week, it isn't just a drip. It's a soaking, it's it's a completely drenching. Lavishing God's love that we can be called children of God and that is what we are because of Jesus. 
Paul has already written to the the church uh, in chapter one of his letter, reminding them of, of their position before God, that God has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. Do you know your position before God this morning? And if you know it, are you teaching it through the way that you live your life? How can you teach it? How can you show it? Pace. First half of the marathon last week, I did a good pace. Second half, boom, not so good. But I don't want to talk about the race itself. I want to talk about the, the expo, the London Marathon Expo just before, um, a few days before. There was a running track um, the revolving running track, like a treadmill, um, about the length of this, this platform. And you could go there, and there were pads, kind of soft, cushiony things around, around the sides, because they were encouraging people to run at the pace of the elite athletes, just for 400 meters, and see if you can keep up the pace. I watched, I did not partake. Because <laughs> these people were like, and some falling and things like that. As I sat in the prayer room on Tuesday, God really spoke to me about this, that I was trying to run at a pace that wasn't made for me. And that's what these people running in in the expo were trying to do. They were running at a pace that wasn't for them. And God re-invited me to learn his pace. Not once do we read in the Gospels that Jesus ran anywhere. And not once... I think, does it say that he was late? He was right on time. And he walked everywhere. Sorry, he also went on a donkey. You know that story probably. God invites us to learn his pace for our lives. I wonder if you have been trying to live at the pace of your boss or the culture in your workplace, and to keep up at that, their pace, but actually it's a pace that isn't sustainable and isn't healthy. Or you're, you're trying to live at the pace of someone else and keep up in, in, with their pace. I wonder if you just need this week to sit with God and say, Jesus, allow me to learn your pace. And as I learn it, help me to teach others. The principle in the Bible is is simple. And as Stuart prayed about Aspen, um, learning from us and him and teaching others, the principle is, like in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, that we learn, or we're taught by someone, we learn it, we teach others, and they in turn teach it to others. I pray that my life will adopt the pace with God that God has for me. And that through that, people will learn a different pace. I haven't got it right. But I know the release when I do get it right. When breathing in is breathing in prayer and breathing out praise. Breathing in, just listening to God. That rhythm, if you, if you are a runner, you know that rhythm where you, you just feel that you can keep going and going, and going. 
No, <laughs> no kind of <laughs> nods there. Okay. Duracell Bunny. When we actually get the right pace with God, we go until he says stop. We start when he says go. And actually it's a with God life. I wonder if you just need that restful pace once again and to learn that and then teach others. In a marathon, people who have pacemakers, not pacemakers, pace setters, they keep their eyes fixed on those pace setters and don't move ahead. They just follow and follow and run with them. And the third thing, power from God. Now you'll notice these begin with P. I'm trying to just help people learn them and me to remember them. So position before God, power, so pace with God and then power from God. Not to do things in our own strength but also to face situations and realize I'm not going to accept this situation as it is because God has given me power and authority. And with my God, I can scale the highest wall. With my God, I can go up against a whole army. They're quoting words from, from David, who was a little boy, who with mighty gods sl- slays Goliath, the giant. One of the most powerful lessons that I um, would teach or more accurately cause to learn and set up the atmosphere within my classrooms to learn, for the children to learn, was that there was more. There was more potential to be released, more um, things that they could do, that what they could do when they arrived in the September in my class wasn't what they would leave with in the July that there was potential for more. Paul teaches in in Colossians chapter 2 verse 10 that Jesus has authority and power over all things and that as a result of that, there's fullness in our lives. That we can approach different situations with his power and authority. Wouldn't it be wonderful if I learned this lesson that God is trying to teach me at the moment? And as a church family, or if just one person from the church family learnt it from me, as I learnt it too. Because with God's almighty power, lives can be transformed completely. Just take a look around. There are a few hundred people here. I wonder what would happen if every person learnt the lessons from God about their position before God and was secure in it, knew it not just in their heads but knew it in their knowers, deep down inside knowing it and they were humbly confident that God loved them completely through and through and it wasn't a performance, it wasn't uh, something that they needed to attain but it was thrown at them and um, pointed towards them, uh, showered over them that they had that position and that they were walking in the pace or or, uh, just living in the pace with God and they were acting in the power of God. Verse 12 of chapter 3 continues. As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion. When we realize that God has power, 
and authority, and, and he, he, by his Holy Spirit, offers us that power. We can have the power to put on compassion, to put on kindness, power to be humble, power to be gentle, power to be patient. I wonder if that last one, patience, something that you need this week. A few years ago, we went round in at feast day with fruit, bowls of fruit, with uh, fruits of the Holy Spirit from, from Galatians, um, kind of uh, labeling each piece of fruit. And the one that so many people took was patience. People needed patience. I don't know about you, but I need God's help to be patient to be kind, to be loving, to be gentle, to be humble, to bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against Using God's power or asking God for the power to forgive as the Lord forgave us and over all these virtues to put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. Power of God to not accept the status quo but to say, God, will you change this? Will your authority come and, and, and just sort out the situation for your glory? When we understand our position, we have that humble confidence. When we have the pace with God, we're not just living by ourselves, but we're listening to God's Spirit uh, throughout our, 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 our living, and people are able to learn from us. Uh, as we do that, and then as we, we understand more of the power from God, we can adopt this bold overcoming love releases, as Jill said last week, bold overcomers um, and love releases in Jesus. What's your life teaching? What lessons can people learn from you today? As a church, I would love us that anyone who met any of us would learn from our lives that their position before God is that they are loved. That they're invited into a pace of life with God that is right for them. They don't need to keep up with anyone else, they just need to walk with God. And that there is power for lives to be changed as we allow God's word to dwell richly in our lives and we remain open to the Holy Spirit's leading. I'm going to pray as the, uh, the band come up to lead us in uh, some songs of worship as response. But I'm also going to invite people to come and just stand at the front if they want to be prayed for. If they want to say, God, I, I want today to learn my position before you. I knew it once or I haven't known it before, but I want to learn it today. Or oh God, I'm shattered and I need to know your pace for my life. And as an act of, of response, you can respond where you are, but if you want to just come and stand and people will just pray with you as we teach one another these things. And that we each know the power of God's Holy Spirit changing our lives and situations. So let's pray 
And then during these songs, if you want to be prayed for, if you want to make a stand of commitment and response, do come to the front um, and someone will pray with you. Thank you, Stuart. Father God, thank you that when we think of our position before you, we recognize your lavished love shown to us through Jesus, who stretched out his arms and said, come to God, come and be loved as you already are. As I said earlier, God, um, lift those heads and faces that aren't able for whatever reason to look to you now. Help them to turn to you and to see your loving eyes looking back at them. And give us a pace that is right with you, to walk each day with you, breathing in and breathing out, breathing in your love, breathing out worship to you. And God, I pray that we as a church family, not just me, but as a church family, each of us will know the power and authority that you give us to minister by your Holy Spirit, to to bring healing and life, to bring hope, to speak words of truth, to have faith released amongst us that what we see before us is not uh, what uh, will happen in the end, but you will bring about change and bring about your transformation. Lead us as we respond to you now, God. Amen.